the vicarage requirements sent along anyway. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not really. <laughs> it's it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I liked your book. Good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> what? Uh, I've got okay. I read it in, um, I think three or maybe four sittings. Okay. Um, cool. I just had to finish up like the last little bit, like just now. Um, I was so close oh. to the end, and I was <laughs> nice. like, I gotta, I gotta at least like get through this last little bit. Um, okay. I really liked it. Uh, I got in trouble for reading it at work. <laughs> nice. That's a compliment. Yeah. 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 It's hard when you, when you put yourself out there. I mean, I guess as a pastor, every Sunday you're putting yourself, you're putting mm-hmm. something you've produced out there, I guess. You know, obviously a sermon is more than art or, or lit, but, um, you know, you're putting yourself out there a little bit. And then with, um, with this medium of like a book, you definitely are. It's yeah. actually my second one. Yeah. I wrote really? one that's much longer, some fantasy armor battles kind of thing. It's really not that good. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I put myself out there there and I, I didn't have a ton of pride in it. Um, but I think that really helped me forward me as a writer. Make, let help me find what I think I'm good at as a writer. I, by no means am I the best ever, obviously. But um, I thought first person suited me well, so that's why this book is in the first person. Uh, it's probably more autobiographical than <laughs> my family would care to uh, to uh, you know. Probably shares more about them than they'd probably be comfortable with, maybe. But. Um, I've been pretty pleased with the reception of this new one. Most of the people who, re- you know, my mom reads it and she thinks, oh, it's great. You know, it's, it's perfect. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, some other pastors and other people have read it. And I, and I don't think that they're lying through their teeth when they say that it's pretty good. So I've been encouraged by that. Okay. I, um... Well, it's a pretty bad echo. I, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really good. Um, there's a lot of really good. So you can tell a pastor wrote it. <laughs> you can tell. You can tell a pastor wrote it. There, there are quite a few parts where it's like, um, it's like, oh, I see the thing you're doing there. You know, um. But I really enjoyed sort of the the journey that we we go on, starting in this sort of disaffected sort of pastor, which I know all too well. Where you, you know, in the beginning of the book, we're very oh, it's another Sunday. I'm gonna go do the thing, and you know, yeah. I gotta listen to this guy complain, you know, yeah. and and it's all. Uh, and we sort of get back to like the joy of ministry and what what real uh, ministry is. It is that something you had to do, like personally find sort of the way, right? Like to 
to like the joy of ministry again. Like, because I know that's a thing that happens, right? You you get out of sim and you like are way up here, and then you're way down here after enough council yeah. meetings, and you got to kind of find your way. You know. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I and I maybe even would go maybe not even the joy of ministry, but even the purpose and the meaning of it. Hmm. Um, because, you know, as he's going through the plague or whatever, he's not having a lot of joy, but he also recognizes it needs to be done. Um, and that's what's so hard to see in ministry sometimes is um, it's a job. This is what I do. Right. But at the same time, you don't get a lot of payoff. Uh, if I can use, I mean, it's not a business. That's kind of the point here. Right. But, um, uh, you know, someone, the mechanic goes to their job. They have a problem in the morning. The car doesn't run. By the end of the day, hopefully if the day goes pretty well, the car is running. Right. They can put their head on their pillow right. at night. They've accomplished something. They've uh, mattered. We in ministry, we work all day. And I often joke that sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I Hey, I want to go do some good for the kingdom, share the love of Jesus. And then you put your head on your pillow and three people are mad at you. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, ah, what did I do today? What's the point? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in very drastic means, uh, the pastor in the book, it very much, oh, this isn't fun. It isn't easy, but it actually does matter and it needs to be done. Someone needs to share some hope with these people. Mm. Um, uh, and that's what we as pastors try to do every day. Yeah. Do you often feel like some people in your own congregation are zombies? <laughs> There's no, no, a cryptic don't line in there where, yeah, you, you don't have to answer that. Please. Line in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's the cryptic line in there where the past, Pastor Darren, I mean, Darren, Darren, I mean, my yeah. wife's like, come on, you finish it. Yeah, I probably <laughs> should have. But, uh, <laughs> that's just how I, I was driving through cornfields in South Dakota. I, maybe I watched a zombie movie or something. And I was just like, you know, they always take place in the cities. And it's just this, man, what would happen in a small town? What would I do in a small town? What would this mean theologically if there is a zombie? Does that mean there's no God? Or, you know, so all that stuff shows up. Um, but there's the line in there where Darren is, you know, confronted with his sin and his anger and his rage and his thirst for vengeance and, um, and violence. Um, and he says, we're all zombies. You know? Uh, and so there's really the kind of original sin piece, I guess there kind of comes out in the darkness and the brokenness. That's not just in the infected, but in the, healthy as well. Um, but I guess maybe more to your question about the membership. Um, every church I've ever been at, I've only been a pastor of two congregations, but you know, you do your vicarage staff and field work churches in my home congregation. There's always the same people. There's the yeah. curmudgeons there yeah. and they're there. There's the people who are just a joy. They light up the room. They, 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 they feed you. They see the importance of ministry. And there's the people who walk in, you go, deep breath. Okay, here we go. Let's, let's see how we can serve them, you know. Um, so there's all those people. And, and so, yeah, I think part of the job of a pastor is not just trying to 
remind ourselves that what we're doing is meaningful, but also the members themselves, that we are in this together as the body of Christ, and together we accomplish more, um, but together we can do ministry and help serve people and share the gospel and uh, show mercy, all those things. And so, yeah, sometimes the people can be a little zombified. And I, I think of the job of the pastor is try to enliven them, too, with the gospel and with uh, what's the meaning and the point of doing ministry. Jesus made a church for a reason. He's called you into it. Let's do something. I think that's part of the pastor's job as well. So there's um, there's a a really distinct theological point that I very, very much enjoyed in the book, which was that unlike traditional zombies, which are dead and then brought back to life, you refuse to make your zombies actually dead, but just sick people because viruses don't bring people back to life. God does. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Um, I was grappling with, you know, kind of the fantasy of a zombie, um, with also, you know, uh, how, uh, I theologically could one, make a point. You want to make a point when you write a book, but also to, you know, um, yeah, the dead coming back, uh, God does that. He's in charge of that. That's our hope in the midst of it. So yeah, this is, I get, I, I don't know how much you want to parse the term, whether my, infected or zombies or not but that's what the people call them and i think if we saw something similar we might use a similar term so i think it kind of fits you also notice that the name of the book is the zombie plague not the zombie apocalypse Mm -hmm. the apocalypse Uh is the second coming and he at least in this story he hadn't come yet so that wasn't the right term so it was a plague um but yeah i wanted to make those points clear that uh in the midst of these great horrors, where do we find our hope in the resurrection and the resurrection to life everlasting and the savior? Yeah. I think it's good. It's realistic in that. So one of the things I like about it is that we're, you're right. It's like a plague, right? And we're trying to get to the winter because there's this sort of inherent understanding that these people while infected with this terrible virus, like they're not immortal, like zombies are in most popular media. And like, that's the thing that I've always thought about with zombie uh, movies and books and things is it's just like, eventually they're going to bloat in the heat or freeze in the summer, right? Like it's gotta be, it's, and I don't want to say like easy cause it wouldn't be easy to wait them out, but like, surely you could just wait them out, you yeah. know? Yeah, and different uh, different fantasy writers handle it different ways. Uh, World War Z, I think uh, those zombies, they'll freeze in the winter, and then when it thaws, they'll just start walking again kind right. of thing. Um, but yeah, if, if I was operating with the um, assumption that these were just people who were sick, uh, then they still had some sort of uh, physical restraints and they, they had to keep the blood flowing 
oxygen coming, those sorts Locker. of things. Wow. Um, yep, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, I have a bio degree, but, uh, you know, you can, it's amazing how far the human body can exert itself when it's not hindered by fear or, or anything like that. And so these people, yeah, they're just, when they see food, they're just at a hundred, they're just running full tilt, everything. But yeah, they don't defy the laws of physics or anything like that. Um, so that was something I tried to keep somewhat consistent in the book. I don't know if I did it a hundred percent, but that was, yeah, something it was a pretty good balance. Yeah. 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 Why? Why pigs and not other animals? That we um, saw anyway. Yeah, I think because of the morphology. Yeah, uh, you know, there's kind of the it, it's not really the the clean unclean the, theological point. Maybe there is something there that was in the back of my mind. But they have a similar morphology, I think. We use them for heart valves and stuff like that. And so that was probably more a biological piece that they would react more similarly to the virus than, than other animals would, as opposed to just being other animals were just carriers of it. Um, but they'd actually act more similarly to us. I don't know if you know, but you, you put together a really good piece of literature. Um, I, I enjoyed the crap out of it, dude. I was, <laughs> I was all about it. Um, I really, the scene where they're going to find uh, Miranda's parents in the mountain town and there's just nothing there. That was tense for me. That was like really <laughs> tense for me. Cause there's like, you're right. Like there's nothing there and you start to wonder like, okay, there's like, there's not anything here. There, there's not even like, like the zombies aren't even here. What's going on. And it, that was, that was a whole, uh, and I'm not going to spoil the whole thing for anyone that wants to, but it was such a tense, such a tense moment. Um, I, I don't know. I think you handled it very well. You, you put together a really good book. What, what encouraged you to be a writer? Yeah, I don't know. I wrote little dinky books when I was a kid. Um, it might've just been being a small town pastor, you know, here where I am now, we have school, I'm at a vacancy. I don't have time for anything. I, I work too much. <laughs> I mean, my poor kids and everything, but, um, but there, I think I, I wasn't stretched quite as far. Um, and those long drives to the hospital an hour away, hmm. my mind would just go and, uh, you know, as a pastor, you're right. And I don't hate it. And so, yeah. And I've always loved stories. I always read, I'm a reader. Um, so I think it was just kind of natural. It, it started pretty uh, buzzword organically where I just, Oh, that was kind of a cool little thought. I'd put that down. Um, and then, and then it started to kind of click where this might work, where I could have an entertaining story, but also give a glimpse into a pastor's life. What's it like to go on the visit? And, you know, the shut-in call, 
What about the visit where someone's dying? Um, can I take the people along with that, with, with the pastor on that and see, you know, some of the terrifying thoughts going on in our heads, <laughs> you know, but we're supposed to preach the gospel to these people. Uh, yeah, you are. So gird up your loins and do it, you know? Um, and so I tried to invite the people along in that journey. Uh, at some, I think this is wildly overblown, but a couple of the comments, uh, reviews in my book have compared it to Bo Gertz's Hammer of God. Um, and I'm just like, don't put me on that. Don't put me there. But he does the same thing, right? You're following along with pastors and you get to see some of their struggles, how they think, but they have flaws. Your pastor's going to have flaws. It's going to make the wrong call sometimes. Um, but, uh, so I, I tried to do that, but also had telling engaging story, which is where the zombies come in. <laughs> hmm. I, I always want to, I always want to write a book and I told myself I'd write one this year so far, five months in, I'm nowhere near even starting. <laughs> um, but I, I, one of the things I struggle with is I want, I, I want to write a book, but I don't want to betray my own theology. And I'm so jealous of someone like Tolkien who can write such a brilliant fantasy epic and, and it not be explicitly Catholic, right? Like he wrote this whole thing and of course his Catholic worldview sort of bubbles up through his literature, but he doesn't, it's not, it's not the lion, the witch in the wardrobe and Aslan is a direct one-to-one -to, -one to Jesus. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like that. It's um, much more subtle and there's not really any allegory for Christianity. He just wrote a fantasy epic and I, I can't do that. I like, I want to, but I feel like I have to, I feel like it's not responsible of me to sort of betray my beliefs, even in like a fantasy writing setting, you know what I mean? And, and I thought for the longest time that it would be impossible to write a book, uh, especially a fiction book or I like, I like horror. I like, uh, action. I'm a guy, I, you know, I like guy things and I, I want to write something like that, but I think, oh, there's no way to write that and it still be Christian and it still be edifying and good. Um, and I just want to thank you for proving me all kinds of wrong on that. Uh, cause like you did it, you did it. How well, was... I cheated though. Okay. I cheated by making the main character a pastor. Right. Okay. So in my previous book, one of the reasons it's not very good is it's just so preachy. It's, you know, everybody comes off as a pastor, even though they're just like a, you know, a soldier or something. <laughs> and so I, I'm a pastor. I know how pastors think. Right. So you know what I did? I made the big character a pastor. And guess what? It, it actually, it, it works because he's allowed to be preaching. Yeah. He's allowed. That's that. Of course, that's what he's going to be like. Right. <laughs> and so I cheated, but you know, on the Tolkien, I mean, you know, Gandalf, it goes, gets thrown into the abyss and comes mm -hmm. back alive again, white, you know, I mean, so 
even though he doesn't, you don't want to be, you don't want the story to just be a shill for your theology. You want them to go together, right? You want the world building and the, and the theology and the story to work together. That's what I tried to accomplish. But as I, as I mentioned, it's kind of cheating because I, I was just like, I could be very overt with the theology because it's a theological guy who is the protagonist and they could come together. Um, to do that with more complex characters who aren't pastors is going to be a lot, a lot trickier. Mm-hmm. Um, so good luck. <laughs> but I will say that w- with writing, you have to enjoy the process um, and you just have to start. That's the number one thing. Write anything down, even if it's complete crap. Um, just write. Uh, and then you can go back and look at it and change things. I mean, so many revisions and those get less fun as you go, but when you're doing the real like copy editing revisions and it helps when you have a wife like mine, who's very detail oriented, (laughs) I thank her. She gets so much credit for this. Um, but those are less fun, but by then you've already established a big story and a narrative. Um, but Starting's the hardest part. And so if a scene that is very vivid comes into your mind, write it down, even if it's not perfect. And then maybe you'll get another scene over here. How do they connect? I don't know, but I have a vivid scene, so I'm going to write it. And I think you'd be surprised how, oh, maybe if I go like this, these scenes can kind of string together. So that's at least how it worked for me. I'm sure other authors have done it different ways. Um, yeah, like, um, Sanderson, I read a lot of Sanderson. He outlines everything before he writes. That's not how I did it. You didn't have any kind of an outline. You just, no. Um, in fact, my first, it was very, and the nature of the book you'll notice is kind of episodic. So every chapter kind of starts with the worship service and then it looks back at kind of the week not every chapter, but a lot of them are like that. So it's kind of episodic. Um, in my first draft, actually, we beat the, spoilers, we, we kind of beat the bad guys, and then we went to find the parents. Mm-hmm. It just felt wrong to me. Um, so I wound up flipping those. Um, and I think it worked better. That it was way. a very satisfying third very act. Satisfying. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I appreciate all that. <laughs> yeah. Tell CPA. No, I don't. I don't want to tell CPA. Yeah. yeah. This is a weird niche, right? I mean, theology. So you know, who's gonna? What's your audience there? It's Christians. Um, but then you throw in zombies. So now I've kind of cut out all the the old grandmas in the pews, you know, they, that's not their forte, you know, <laughs> I've cut out the little kids, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a niche. I get it, but that's who I am. And I'm just going to write who I am. And if uh, someone else wants to read it, fantastic. I hope it, if it edifies one person, then I guess it wasn't a waste, you know? 
would I like to be a New York Times bestseller? Of course, you know, right? so promote yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, no, you just got to write what you like. I don't, I specifically want CPH to never find out because I would love, I would love to read more of your books as you write them, but I have to be able to afford them in order to buy them <laughs> to read them. Yeah. CPH would yeah. be charging like $860 for the ebook. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It gets pricey. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, um, the, at the, at the, oh no, I don't want to spoil it. I like the, the church library, uh, boasting, boasting the seminary library, boasting about having the biggest library, like the biggest seminary library in the world. Cause like, yeah. you know, all the, all the books are gone. Yeah. And we pilfered everybody else's. Yeah. <laughs> It makes you, it really makes you think about, so I, I think I've said this before on this podcast. Um, when I was growing up, I heard uh, our pastor at the church I grew up at say like something like, you know, I, I grew up to, at a Pentecostal church and they would have the theme, uh, which if we're being generous was a Bible verse uh, for the sermon that week, you know, printed in the order of worship. Uh, sometimes it was just like half a Bible verse you know, half of a single verse and that was it. And, you know, we'd wax philosophic for 40 minutes about prosperity gospel theology based around that half a verse. And uh, the pastor once remarked, he said, you see this, this, this verse in your bulletin, if all the Bibles in the world were destroyed, we could reprint 99% of the Bible with just church bulletin inserts. And I'm looking at that half a verse thinking that that can't be right. I can't. There's no way. There's no way someone someone printed like the second half of like Habakkuk two one. You know what I mean? Like that's not. Yeah, that'd be quite quite the lectionary though. Yeah, that'd be the three year lectionary. That'd like, be the you know five thousand year lectionary to get yeah. through it all. You know. <laughs> and I'm thinking like like what what church what church bulletin out there has like a verse from Obadiah in it? You know, like none of them. But then I realized when I started attending a Lutheran church that that probably is true because our bulletin inserts, we're on the one year, and our bulletin inserts will be like, all right, and this is the entire third chapter of Mark for today's gospel yeah. reading. you yeah. know. And I realized like those are the bulletins we could reprint the Bible from. But it makes you think like if we really did lose society and all that, like where... Who are the gatekeepers of this knowledge? Who who still maintain it, and where does it come from? I like that you have this seminarian who's sort of forced into the role. Um, who your education is just going to be shadowing a pastor and sitting and talking to one. Um, it's very first century, you know. Yeah, and you nailed it right there. Like. Um, uh, we aren't biblicists, right? We don't worship the Bible. Um, we, of course, understand the word is a means of grace. And there's people far smarter than I who could have awesome discussions on this. But, you know, if all the Bible has disappeared, our faith isn't gone mm-hmm. because that historical reality of a risen Lord is still there. And so let's share it. Um, but, yeah, I, I can only imagine that if something like this ever were to happen, 
um, how the church of God would just rally around these gifts that we have, not only in the scriptures, but in the church fathers and, you know, some, all that we've learned on translation and history and all that stuff. And so I, 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 I tried to kind of reflect that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be very natural for the, the people of God to try and all of a sudden this book that has been collecting dust for a lot. No, no, no. We need this thing. Let's, let's, let's keep it safe. Let's use it. Yeah, I, I think that would uh, rearrange our priorities on what we read quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think there would be more evil survivors. Um, I, uh, I think you painted a good picture of society rebuilding itself, especially like a small cohesive town. Um, um, maybe I'm just a pessimist, but uh, I, I would have I would have expected more big city raiders. Um, I think in real life, probably I would expect more, not more evil people, but the evil people to be more evil. Does that make sense? Like without yeah. without sort of the curbing guide of the law, you know, um, people people can be animals. Yeah. So. so you know, again, I you're exactly right. So that's why I wound out the story with. So you probably just read this morning, <laughs> um, some law and order coming coming mm-hmm. back around. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. Um, when there's no law and order who gets the food, who gets the water, who gets the house. Yeah. Well, it's might makes right. Yep. Whoever has the most guns and the most guys, you know? Um, so this, you know, there's fascinating discussions here on the rise of chivalry in the middle ages about, Hey, it's not just about being strong, but it's also about being virtuous, you know, those sorts of things to try. And, and that's what, how they were trying to combat these things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if this ever happened, it, who know, there would be horrors untold. Um, I am positive of it. I think uh, the cities, I think, would get hit the worst. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of reflected here. And so I think the survival rate would be much less, much, much smaller in the cities. And so that's probably why there weren't so many roving bands from the cities doing their thing. Um, but I've lived in a small town, and I sure actually Professor Gibbs told us this in the seminary. He said, um, <clears throat> he said people in the small towns are just as sinful as people in, in the cities. It just so happens there's less sin per square mile because you're spread out more. <laughs> he said it's easier to love your neighbor when they're a half mile away, right? Than right. On top of you dancing on your floor, right, on your roof. Um, and, and so yeah, there, there. I tried to reflect that there would still be that struggle even in the small towns. Um, but having lived in a small town, I've been impressed with how a town can come together mm-hmm. in a hard time. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that on, on larger scales before as well. Um, but yeah, that sinful nature is always going to be there. And which is why, you know, you know, even in the book, they had to get the guys together and say, no, this ain't, this isn't acceptable. Right. And they had to right. enforce that. And that, that would probably have to happen. Yeah. When did you release it? Quite a while ago, over a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. 
Um, it's pretty poignant yeah. timing. Yeah, I started it before all the COVID stuff. I mean, this was, this was, I've been working on it for probably six years or something. I think, I, I think I did release it before the COVID, but oh yeah, on my Facebook posts, I'd be like, Hey, virus is going around read this book. Yeah. So, <laughs> I never know how much I don't want to, I don't want to hawk. I don't, I'm not a salesman. So even, even kind of this was a little weird for me, you know, responding to that, uh, message you had about podcast stuff. Um, uh, but you know, I, I'd post, I'd post a chapter on my, <clears throat> on my Facebook and I don't know, 500 followers and who knows how many of them actually even care about me or whatever. And I, I so I sold, I don't know, a, a couple of dozen a year and a half ago. And then every time I post something else, maybe one or two books sell or something like that. But I've never like been the guy to go to the pastor's conference and just be like, oh, everybody read my book. Come on, you know, and I'll do all these promos. And stuff. that's not been me. Um, so I'm just hoping somebody famous on Lutheran Twitter gets a hold of it. Maybe it's you. And, <laughs> so no, you know, it's not. I'm not famous. <laughs> you give it to your pastor. Maybe he gets it to Hans Feeney or something, you know, and, and then maybe I make it big. But uh, uh, but no, I, I just, you know, if it can be a blessing to someone, if it's if it's in your niche, hey, maybe you might like this. And uh, it seems like some people have. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I know I've given you like very high praise and it's not just, I'm not, I'm not just saying it. I really, I really enjoyed the crap Appreciate out of the book. It. I thought it was great. Um, any plans to write any more? No. Um, you know, I, it's a lot but of work. I didn't have plans to write this one either. So I wrote my first one and you know, as I mentioned, it wasn't very good. Um, but you know, I just enjoyed it. But then this, story came to me when I was driving across South Dakota. So I figured I'd write it down. So who knows if another one will, um, strike me. My wife always appreciates, cause I'm not like a very severe guy all the time. So she's like, why are your books always so severe? <laughs> she's like, you should write a lot lighthearted one. And so there's maybe, maybe I'll write a sequel. That's a little more lighthearted or something. I don't know. But, um, right now I've, I've got a school and, and a vacancy I'm working in. And so, mm. you know, I think the Lord has more immediate things for me right now. Um, yeah. And, you yeah. know, I have four kids I'm trying to raise. And so uh, nothing in the works right now. So transitioning then into your life, uh, why did you want to be a pastor and how long have you been doing that? I've uh, been a pastor 10 years and next month in July. Um, I've always, you know, I've always been Christian baptized the day I was born, had a heart condition. So they baptized me right there in the hospital. Um, but I've been very blessed. Uh, I have no follow-up surgeries or anything like that. Um, then, uh, I had a youth pastor that was pretty influential on me. Said, so oh, you're a good theologian. You should look into this. I was like, nah, I want to make some money, you know? So I went off to college to be a doctor. And here's the irony. I said, I finally decided I don't want to be a doctor. That takes too much, too much schooling. <laughs> and of course I went off to SEM for four more years, you know, Lord has a sense of humor there. But after I decided to want to be in the medical field, I went to a secondary education biology, high school biology teacher. 
got so far as observing in the classroom. I saw this middle school teacher with 30 kids in there. I was like, I can't do this all day. But I did like to teach. And so um, a pastor, you do get to teach. And that's probably actually my favorite part of being a pastor. Um, and so that's when I switched to pre-sem. I was at Concordia Irvine. Um, switching to pre-sem there. Haven't looked back. Went to St. Louis. Loved it. Uh, very... Yeah, if you go off to seminary, uh, you know, the devil kind of works harder on you when you're there. Second year, I remember having a lot of doubts, stress, anxiety. But, you know, the Lord saw me through along with great community there at the SEM. The professors know this. They know that the kids, the kids, the students get hit pretty hard when they get to seminary for spiritual warfare. So they're pretty well equipped to help you, which is good. Vickers was great. You know, first, second year seminarians, they know everything in the world. I'm going to get out there. And these so, pastors know their I've had, I've had several Vickers over the years like message me yeah. because my pastor Joe um, blocks Vickers. He just blocks them. Like the moment, the moment you're in sim and like all the way through your vicarage, you're on block. Yeah. And then after that, yeah. he'll unblock you. And so they're like, I've had yeah. two or three people now who'll be like, Hey, did I do something to offend Joe? And I'm like, what year sim are you in? That's like, that's <laughs> a, year that's two, great. year three. Yeah, no, that's what it is. Yeah. And then you go to vicarage and you realize, Oh, maybe I am not. Yeah. the answer to all of ministry's problems and you come back and you ask your questions fourth year and then I think they would they whip out a pretty decent greenhorn by the end of seminary and there's so much growth that happens after that of course <clears throat> but um yeah and and I certainly experienced that as well uh very gracious to my first congregation I gave probably some not very good bible studies that <laughs> over the years but they were very gracious to me and uh, just as long as you, you have to be able to be wanting, you have to want to still learn. You want to, you have to be able to still grow. Mm-hmm. And maybe this was one of my expressions of that. Uh, and you find what you're good at. How can you um, find others to lean on for what you're not good at? Cause no, you know, pastor, like parenting, you have to be good at like everything and nobody is. That's mm-hmm. very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will tell you about it. They'll tell you what you're not. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate it. And so you, you have to try and learn and grow and lean on other people. And so that's kind of been my, but yeah, ever since I switched to pre-sam, I really haven't looked back. Um, always been something to do. What's the one part of ministry that took you by surprise that you were like shockingly bad at and realized you needed to get good at? I ask for my own edification. Um, yeah. So my first congregation was a small parish, um, and it was really probably what to do, how to use your time efficiently. Hmm. Easy to sit in an office, and you know, and you need time in the office to learn and to go over things. But um, it's also easy to check Twitter a little more often than you probably should. And uh, <clears throat> so when you're when you're not in a super busy call, that can maybe be something to prepare you for. 
and if you're in a busy call like I am now, uh, just so much admin, I mean, CEO mm. kind of stuff, you know, like this, you know, in a, in a way you could say I'm in a leadership role at a $500,000 company right now a year. And so just keeping all those plates spinning. I, I took some leadership training with my district and that was very helpful. So yeah. What are you lacking to be able to, to assess what area you might need some help in and then go and get it. And for me, and especially in this call, it was ad administration for sure. Okay. So it was the, it was the business of the church. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, they give you a little bit at STEM. Yeah. But they don't give you a ton. And, and, you know, it's, it's unclogging toilets when the, when the principal's gone and there's a toilet clogger. Okay. That's, that's, that's service. Right. And mm -hmm. so, uh, it's doing that. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, this kid punched another kid, you know, this is more school stuff, which is maybe on my mind because I've been working with the school here recently, but in ministry too, um, how, you know, that's, it's a volunteer organization, your treasure and all this stuff. How can you try and keep the peace there and keep people motivated and positive? It can be difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Do you think let me think of how to phrase this i don't I don't know how exactly I want to phrase this. Do you think a lot of a lot of guys enter because I know the the burnout rate can be pretty high um, yeah. do a lot of guys enter the ministry not thinking about these things or thinking they can just superman this and handle it, and they don't realize that like you're just a guy, you can't do everything and you need people around you. Like do, do they, they're just not prepared to build their own support structures. Right. And they just kind of yeah. burn, burn themselves to the ground on it. And that's like, do you think a lot of guys could, could benefit from just, I mean, obviously just stepping back and honestly looking at what they can and can't do. Yeah. But I think burnout comes from 360 degrees. Um, that's at least been my experience. I think we are generally well enough equipped to handle and maybe an attack, if I can put it that way, from one direction. But then now you've got family issues and now you've got, you know, it's not just the, the chairman's mad at you or, but now the offerings down and now the attendance is down and then someone died. And I think, I think we know that all those things happen, but sometimes they happen all at once. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they happen. Well, and then you get the criticism on your sermon or your Bible class and you're like, all these things happen. And they're not just problems you can just fix done, move on. They're with you all throughout ministry. There, there's always going to be someone who is criticizing you. There's always going to be your own pet sins that are still with you that you're trying to fight against. And I should know better because I'm a pastor. And there's always going to be more that we think we should be doing, but we don't want to do and we don't have the energy to do. I could always make one more phone call. 
I always could. I could always make one more visit. I could always read one more chapter. Hmm. Um, and this is where we feel guilty for not doing those things. Or when we do try to do all of them, then something else suffers, maybe our family or something. It's very hard to keep all the plates spinning all the time, to keep trying to keep the peace with everybody. Um, but yeah, for some reason we think we can do it. <laughs> we just can't. And so, you know, what's, what's the solution is first of all, real tangible ways to seek help and that support system that you mentioned, you've got to have that. And then the second and the most important is you just need the grace of God. You can't, be a pastor without it. I mean, as James, not all of you should be teachers because you'll be held to a higher standard. Um, if you lead a little one astray, millstone, we have to give an account and it's not to the grumpy old guy. I think I even mentioned it in the book, mm -hmm. but we have to, I have to give an account to the king. Who cares about you? Well, the Lord does and I do too, <laughs> but I have to give an account to the king and you're going to sit here and lecture me. Like I know that I should be doing a better job or something and I'm trying, but our options are I resign and get someone else to do it. And, and are they going to be the perfect person? No. Do you want to do it? I don't see you stepping up to do it. So how about, we show a little respect to the guys who are brave enough to get into these callings and try. Okay. Um, or, or what? We don't got anybody there. And our Lord has said, pray for workers in the harvest field. Uh, so all of that is involved in ministry and, and it can be very, it can be tough. It can be very hard. Um, so support system and the grace of God. When I, when the Lord calls me home, uh, <laughs> I would like to think I would go, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner and a sinner who was a pastor. <laughs> give me some extra grace. And I'm confident that he will give that to me for the on account of Christ. God be praised. And then hopefully I can say, ah, oh, I can rest. <laughs> and and adding on to that. You talk about, you know, you have like family and attacks from every side, giving is down or attendance is down or all of those things. Yeah. And then someone picks just the worst time to die. <laughs> and on top of all that, like there's and there's some guy out there right now that's dealing with all of that and he's bivocational. So like he's also got this day job that he's trying to like fight through. So he's also got like conflicts with coworkers that he's trying to deal with, you know, or or uh, it always is. We had a guy in the, I'm in the AALC and one mm -hmm. of our pastors uh, just accepted a dual parish call. Uh, and I mean, he was doing okay. You know, he had a, he had a parish and they loved him and he, he was doing, and he took, he took a dual parish call and I was just like, man, I can't imagine the courage that that would take. Uh, I'm bad enough with names and like faces and whatnot, you know, and now I got two different congregations I'm trying to deal. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Um, Some wild challenges. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, 
Well, I'm on a vacancy now, which is actually interesting. And, and in this book, too, I think it's hard for me to go to my congregation and read those verses that Paul writes about supporting your pastor. Because it seems so self-serving, right? Mm. It's, you know, like, don't make it hard for him. That's of no advantage to you, Paul writes. But it's hard for me to say that to my people. But maybe in this book, as you're coming along with a pastor, and that's not to say that all of our perspectives are always right, you know. Um, but maybe if you get a little glimpse of how we view things, maybe that can bring some sympathy towards your pastor, wherever you are. Um, but then at a vacancy, I can actually bring up those verses. I say, hey, I'm not going to be your pastor forever. You're going to get a new pastor. Let's look at these things. Yeah. How can you support your pastor? Um, how can we, we are not above criticism, but can we phrase it constructively with some grace uh, to try and cheer and try and support? Because the joke is, you know, you get five criticisms on this program and you say, okay, would you like to come help the program? Oh, no, I don't have time. Stop presenting. Yeah. Every, uh, everybody can do it better until they actually have to do it. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's a tough job. And, and I know, I know the, the book is dealing with like shepherding people through a zombie plague, but I mean, in real life, shepherding people through this pandemic was no easier, no easier, you know? And, uh, 100%. I had people over here saying, if you don't cancel church, you're killing grandma. Mm -hmm. I had people over here who said, if you do cancel church, you're a coward and you don't trust in the Lord. And yep. I was like, no matter what I do, someone's going to be mad. Yep. So you just try to be faithful and honest. That's all you can do. We had, um, when our when our pastor announced that, look, um, we're so we had our, our local Baptist church actually sue our governor to remove restrictions for churches and they won. God bless them. Uh, because our governor said you can't even meet for church and the local Baptist got up and sued the crap out of them. And the North Carolina Supreme court sided and said, look, we can't put any restrictions on churches. If y'all want a mask, that's fine. If you want a social distance or whatever, you know, do, do whatever you feel is right. But at the end of the day, we're not going to stop people from going to church and practicing their religion, how they see fit. So, uh, after all that came out, our pastor got up and said, look, we're still going to do two services if you want, so you can maintain social distance. Um, and it's going to be mask optional. And that, I mean, that seemed pretty reasonable. If you, if you're really that worried, which I understand nothing wrong with that. You can wear a mask and come to the first service and sit in the back where no one else is. It's fine, right? Um, but we still had, in church, while he's making this announcement, a congregant stand up and yell at him about how inappropriate it was and everyone needs to be wearing masks and she was scared for her life. And, and, it, and it was this whole thing. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know that that person came back. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's um, tough because I saw, it's you know damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, it was not a lot of 
there's not a lot of winning going around. That's Mm-mm. for sure. Yeah. I, uh, we did the two services spread out mass optional. I'm in Idaho. Our governor did all right. We closed for two weeks with like one thing in the County. I was like, all right, we'll do our little, we'll, we'll try to obey the governing authorities a little bit, but then looking, <clears throat> looking back, I wouldn't have closed again, but you don't get to do things over again. You just try to learn what, what used a lot of our attention is we did two services spread out exactly what a pastor did. But then we did an additional masks required service. And so those people had a place mm. to come worship where they felt safer. And so that that helped us. But even then, you know, you're just you're just trying to make it work. <laughs> Thankfully yeah. it didn't really hit us that hard. So uh, yeah, we got we got through it. But uh, you try to learn from those scenarios. I was really grateful when we got back to just one service. Um, the church council held like some emergency session and passed some emergency rules so that we could vote on things by email if need be and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I was yeah. really glad when we rescinded all of that, even though I'm on the council and I hate the meetings because they're so long and so bureaucratic, <laughs> but... I was really glad to be back at like actually doing the work of the church in the church um, and the rail. I, I did not realize how much mm-hmm. I just missed the rail. Like that's, that was so important, you know? Yeah. We did the kind of the continuous walk through communion. Mm-hmm. And now when we went back to yeah, kneeling before the altar, there's something yeah. pretty beautiful about that. And uh, you know, for the book, um, the church is not just the bylaws. Bylaws are helpful and important in all those things, but uh, how do you do ministry when all that stuff blows up? <laughs> it's, it's some, and, and that's not to say that how this pastor did in the book was the only or the perfect way, but I think that would be, it's something that the people of God will have to wrestle with whenever those things happen. Mm-hmm. We saw it in, um, you know, the Reformation. We saw it at the start of Lutheranism in America and with all the scandals and stuff going on there, are we still the church? Um, um, and so, yeah, but, but at the, at the, at the meat there is that church is the, the people gathering around the word of God and the sacraments. And so how can we do that faithfully where people feel safe? And so you, we saw it for COVID we saw it, and I, and I kind of mused through that in the book here today or when I wrote it. So, hmm. Pastor, thank you so much for taking time to sit down and talk with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reading the book. I, it was great. It was such a great it. book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. other than the book, is there anything else I can, I can promote for you? Can I promote the first significantly, uh, worse book as well? No. Okay. <laughs> It's fine. We'll just let that one lie. It's it's okay. This this one that's halfway decent, let's just stick with that one for now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate you and uh, I know your pastor, Joe, they're a kick. You guys are a kick on Twitter. Thanks. uh, I appreciate you guys. And uh, I think Lutheran Twitter is pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. You know, anybody listening, they probably already know of it because they, they follow you and stuff. But, uh, I think we do a pretty good job. We, we got warts too on Lutheran Twitter, but I think we, uh, 
think we handle ourselves usually better than most. There's a couple of real weirdos who claim to be Lutheran. We don't have to worry about them, though, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, no, I, th- I thank you for the time, and uh, I hope I'm, you know, I don't want to be a salesman or anything, but I appreciate you inviting me to talk about it, and I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I, hope, uh, I hope some people buy it. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> I get a whole, like, dollar fifty each book. Heck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just raise raise your prices a little bit before the release here of the of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank awesome. you so much for the time. Thank you, bud. All right.